Hey everyone, this is Dr. Michael Wall. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm excited about this topic. It's all about the adrenal glands and the stress response and how you can identify and manage your life so that stress doesn't kill you. You know, all those health complaints that you have, uh, your fatigue, your brain fog, your, your intestinal stuff, your hormonal imbalances, even heavy metal toxicity, whatever it is, stress actually can set your body up for being more susceptible to all sorts of degeneration. So this topic is literally for everyone. So for those of you who are new to the show, my name is Dr. Michael Wald and I'm known as the Blood Detective. I practice in Westchester, New York, which is located about an hour north or so of New York City in a wonderful little town known as Katona. If you want to reach me for a distance or in-person consultation or you have show ideas and comments on the shows, Call me at 914-552-1442, 914-552-1442. And also, uh, don't hesitate to email me your concepts and, and questions and uh, input at info at blooddetective.com. So we're going to talk about keeping yourself uh, alive longer with better quality. That would be nice. Uh, that's not a guarantee. Um, I guess it's a good segue into the disclaimer for the show that this information is only for your education and cannot substitute for sound medical uh, advice. So having said that, if you reduce your stress, and I'm not just talking about psychological stress, I'm talking about reducing the effects and the impact of various stressors upon your body. A stressor can be pollution, it can be cold weather, it can be over-exercising, under-exercising, it can be your medications, your nutrients. These are stressors, foods, uh, and of course psychological stress that impact your body in a global way. So I'm going to talk about the stress response in the body, how it works, because if you have some fundamental understanding of how stress impacts your body, and I'm telling you, it's, it goes beyond what you think you know about how stress impacts your body. Other than if I asked you right now, how does stress impact your body? Most of you would say to me, oh, it's you know, very significant and uh, you know, it, it just sets you up for you know, bad health. And that, that's completely true. But we need to go deeper. So let's start with just a quick definition. There's bad stress and there's good stress. And there's stuff in between, but the bad stress is known as distress, distress. And the good stress is called eustress. So for example, if you put good stress uh, in the gym on your muscles, you're going to grow muscles. If you put good stress on your cardiovascular system, you're going to grow a stronger cardiovascular system. If you place good stress in the form of the right way of eating and or detoxing or cleansing or taking supplements, then you will force your body through various stress reactions to change. Stress is an impetus to change. And the body is able to change most bad habits. 
even if the bad habit is cancer, heart disease, diabetes, and arthritis. Those are just a few examples. But think of any disease or condition you've ever had or that anyone you love or like even has ever had, and you'll find out that these are stressors, these diseases. So we have to know, and this is a key point, everyone, we have to know how these stressors like cancer or heart disease or whatever the health problems you have affect your body's chemistry and your structure of the body too. Meaning, if you stress your body out by not exercising regularly, your heart's going to get weaker and it will structurally change. It'll atrophy over time or shrink. So I'm trying to have you understand that there is a balancing act with stress so that stress can either help you grow and repair or cause disease and disrepair. So this has to do with what's called the stress response. So I don't know if you've ever heard this, but there is something called the stress response. And there was a Dr. Hans Selye uh, in, the, in the 60s, I believe it was. It might have been the 50s. Um, sorry that I don't know the exact time on that. And he came up with the term stress. I mean, the, the word existed before him, but it wasn't used to describe the effects of various um, uh, influences upon the body. It was a term used in uh, construction engineering to describe like stress forces among, let's say, materials in a building. So he applied it to the body for the first time. And guess what happened? His articles really didn't get read because no one knew what the heck stress was. Um, but now we know. Just a little interesting history there. So there's a, the stress response, which is what they call a fight or flight response. And every mammal on the planet will experience, uh, and even non-mammals will experience the fight or flight response. So you either fight and deal with the current stress at hand or the danger, or you flight, you run away. And between the fight staying around or the flight running away, there's different neurohormonal, uh, neurophysiological changes in the body that allow the fight to happen or the flight to happen. And when you're in either fight or flight, your body shuts off and turns on different, um, different uh, systems in the body. The digestive tract works different. The hormonal system works differently. The nervous system works differently. All of the systems, the musculoskeletal system works differently to accommodate what is required of you, the organism, either as a fight or flight. Now, we mentioned that there are different types of stressors. There are nutritional stressors, energetic stressors, uh, electromagnetic stressors, radiation stressors, physical, emotional effects, even how you internalize your world through your, your filter, or, or what I like to call the semantic uh, stress stressors. So if you have a word in your language for war, that will generally uh, have stress attached to it, and there will be war. If And they know this of African uh, tribes, there's, a, there's at least one, that uh, does not have a word for war. And guess what? They don't fight. So the, the words that we use on a daily basis also set us up for stress. I did do a show on semantics. You might want to listen to that one. Um, you rarely will hear a show like that, which is why I did it on the, the effects of meanings of words, that what we place on meanings of words 
and how we confuse the words that we use to describe what we're experiencing, or at least what we're experiencing through our filter, with the what actually is happening. So it's pretty deep stuff, but very, very important stuff. Because from a stress perspective, if you understand how to use language more effectively, you actually can make various stressors go, go away and come away at will. So let's talk about the physiologic stress response. When one is under stress, there is an acceleration of the heart rate and lung action. There is, uh, when someone is under a, again, a stress reaction where, where the body's gearing up to run, there's an inhibition of stomach and intestinal action. Digestion basically slows or it actually stops. Because when your body's running away, it doesn't want to digest things because the, the body needs that energy to run away effectively so it doesn't get eaten. And there's a constriction of blood vessels in many parts of the body to accommodate the flight reaction. The body must liberate all sorts of nutrients to allow for the stress response to occur and to occur in the intended healthy way. There's dilation of blood vessels though to the muscles allowing muscular action to run. And there's inhibition of the lacrimal gland, which is the gland that has to do with tear production because you don't need to be crying while you're running. Although I suppose I might be if I were being eaten after being caught while I was running. <laughs> but anyway, I think you get the point. And then there's a dilation of the pupils, relaxation of the bladder, evacuation of the colon. There's an inhibition of erection. Uh, these are just some of the changes that occur in any body or any system that uh, is um, capable of a stress response. What's also very important is that Prolonged stress may result in what's called chronic suppression, long-term suppression of the immune system, which leaves the body open to infections. But usually it's, there's a short boost of immune system activity after the fight, and, but then once that goes on, there's a suppression. So an initial increase in autoimmunity and then a suppressant. I should also mention that Stress responses are sometimes a result of mental disorders such as post-traumatic stress disorder, right? That makes sense. Uh, in, in which an individual shows a stress response when, uh, you know, thinking of or remembering a past trauma and they, and, and panic disorder also, which is part of it, it basically is a stress response in which the stress response is activated by some catastrophic, uh, mis, you know, interpretation of body sensations. So what happens in the body during a stress response? You know, what's really interesting is, let's use this as an example. So when, you're, when your body encounters perceived threats, like uh, a large uh, dog uh, barking at you, let's say during your morning walk, for instance, an area in your brain called the hypothalamus, um, which is a tiny region at the base of your brain that does a ton it sets off an alarm system in the entire body. And through a combination of nerve and hormonal signals, this system prompts your adrenal glands, which by the way, are at the top of either of your two kidneys. The, so the adrenal glands will release a surge of hormones, including adrenaline 
and cortisol. So let me tell you a couple of things about adrenaline and cortisol. So let's start with adrenaline. Adrenaline increases your heart rate. Think of adrenaline like acceleration. Adrenaline accelerant, okay? So adrenaline increases your heart rate, it elevates your blood pressure, boosts your energy supply because you need to run. And then there's cortisol. That's the primary stress hormone. Now the interesting thing about cortisol is that it increases sugar or glucose in the bloodstream. And it'll enhance your brain's use of glucose, increasing the availability of glucose for tissue repair. So the other, again, cortisol is super interesting. I could do a whole hour on, on just that, but cortisol curbs functions that would be non-essential or detrimental in a fight or flight situation. So cortisol alters immune system responses and suppresses the digestive system and the reproductive system and growth processes. Because when you're undergoing a fight or flight running around, you don't need you know, your immune system to be working at 100% function. You don't need your digestive system either or your growth systems to be working at 100%. That would take away from the actual fight or flight reaction because you want it to be successful. You want the fight or flight to be successful because if it, if it fails, you're either getting eaten or you're going you're gonna to die of a, of a chronic uh, fight or flight response. So when the body wants to turn down the stress response, there's a decrease in hormonal levels and that enables your body to return to a normal homeostatic balanced uh, state uh, once the perceived stress has passed. Now the stress could have been something psychological or it could be something very physical, okay? As adrenaline and cortisol levels drop, heart rate and blood pressure return to baseline and other systems resume their normal activities, right? Should make sense. But here's the key, here's the kicker. But when the stressors of your life are chronically present, leaving you constantly feeling stressed, or you know you just have tension all the time, nervous, or on edge, that, that's the fight or fight reaction, the fight or flight reaction that is turned on. And if you keep it on, it's like keeping a car on too long. It will burn out. So the critical point here for you to get, I think, is, the less control you have over potential, potentially stress-inducing events and the, and the more uncertainty they create for you, the more likely you will feel stressed. So even the typical day-to-day -day demands of living can contribute to your body's stress response in an adverse way. So let me just reiterate a point. And before I do, I just want to welcome everyone uh, for listening today. My name is Dr. Michael Wald, and you're listening to Ask the Blood Detective. You can reach me at 914-552-1442, and you can email me at info at blooddetective.com, and you can check out my website. I've got tons of videos and free content there at drmichaelwald.com. So overexposure of your body tissues to cortisol and other stress hormones disrupts almost every one of your bodily processes. Almost every cell and every organ, tissue, and gland is affected. So this will put you at increased risk for all kinds of health problems. We're talking about heart disease, sleep problems, digestive problems, depression, even obesity, memory impairment. What else? Just healing issues, uh, immune problems, uh, and definitely a worsening of, of skin conditions. So those are just a couple of the highlights right there. So why do you react 
to stress the way that you do. Why does your body do that? Well, part of it has to do with genetics. The genes that control the stress response keep most people on an even keel, uh, theoretically speaking. Uh, I don't believe that's really true, uh, at least from the people that I see, which, which I admit are self-selected. They're not, they're not well. But it doesn't seem to me that my average patient's genes are keeping their stress response on an even keel. It's just not. And you may experience an overactive or underactive stress response. Many people have these hyperactive stress responses, which become anxiety, for example, or nervousness or various diseases of overactivity, a classic one uh, being hypertension. So there's also life experiences, you know, a strong stress reaction can often be traced to the environment around you. That's pretty, pretty apparent. And uh, people who are exposed to extremely stressful events, um, let's say like children who have neglect or abuse, they tend to be particularly uh, hypersensitized to stress and anxiety and then eating disorders and all kinds of similar uh, traits. And they become adults that are extremely dysfunctional. So how do you manage your stress? How do you live longer by managing your stress? Well, let me just give you some of the, the general guidelines here. I mean, there's only so much we could do in an hour, but it's important. So among the many strategies to help you manage your stress, the first one, it needs to be exercise. Uh, my experience with patients is that they think they know how to exercise, uh, but they don't. Um, you know, exercise can be... Uh, done in a way that supports, let's say, the cardiovascular and the lymphatic system, or it can be focused on strength or mobility or, or balance uh, and coordination. Um, but w no matter what the exercise uh, is designed to do for the individual, such as you, it's going to require certain nutrition and exercise is a stress. So let's say you come to me and you have fibromyalgia, right? And I say, here's what you need nutritionally, dietary-wise, lifestyle, nutritional supplements. Um, if you then say to me at the end of the conversation, oh, by the way, Dr. Wald, I want to start walking three miles a day. That completely changes the suggestions that I would give you because of the stressor of exercise. And then I would have to go on exactly what type of exercise we're talking about. How often is it being done? What level of stress and strain? Do you have any current injuries? How many reps and sets are we doing? What sort of weight are we talking about? How are we timing your foods relative to the exercise? If you think this is too much to focus on, I would just encourage you that it's not. Uh, that, but if you do not try to get things figured out for your own health, for your own stress response management, then you're just spinning your wheels. Now, there's nutritional supplementation. We're going to be speaking about that in detail. How to use nutritional supplements to help your body manage a stress response. Just like the stress response everyone listening to the show is experiencing right now. Just aging and maintaining a homeostatic balance. In other words, what's required for your body to even listen to the show is a stress. And it costs something from your body. And then there are various relaxation techniques, energetic techniques. There is... Uh, psychological reframing of events, looking at them differently so they have a different impact upon your nervous system, causing a different impact upon how your nervous system affects the stress response. For example, 
if you are, if you've ever seen a car accident, that could be a very traumatic thing to see. And especially early on in the memory, it can trigger a stress response that's quite obvious and apparent, and even people looking at you from the outside. But if years go by, or you think about this event many, 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 many times, your nervous system, and you, will become desensitized to a certain extent. It might almost be entirely desensitized, where you can actually think of the visual events like you did before, but they don't have that reactionary effect upon your body, that normal knee-jerk response of the stress response that nature, God, whatever you want to call it, has designed in us. And then there are simple things like, <laughs> simple things, I didn't say easy things, like loving your job, you know, loving your life. So when that's not there, you're in a whole other level of stress. And that's when you have a person like someone I just saw recently that was a vegan for decades. This is a really smart uh, veterinarian and he had a heart attack. You know, he exercised regularly, he did everything right, at least on paper. But there's underlying stressors there that overwhelmed his system to the point where those things I just mentioned, exercise and diet, were not enough. Or they weren't enough, or they weren't even right for him. Maybe different sorts of exercise done differently and different kinds of um, ways of um, managing himself and eating uh, could have helped him. Okay, that's why, again, it's always important to understand how your body responds to stress reaction. So you want to foster healthy relationships. You want to get plenty of sleep. You don't want to wake up tired. That's called non-restorative sleep. And if you want to cause someone to have an adverse stress response, well, that's easy. All you need to do is deprive them of sleep. And everything else uh, in their day will be uh, interpreted on a higher level of stress. And for those of you that have stress, you might find that professional counseling or psychotherapy can be of help to you. Okay, let's talk about some practical nutritional and herbal supplements that can potentially help modify how stress affects your body. So I'm going to describe to you now six different herbs that when used together can give you a real um, leg up, as they say, on the effects of stress on the body. Now, there may be some drug uh, nutritional interactions. Uh, there, there are too many uh, and too numerous to mention. So before you begin any of these herbs, you'll, you'll need to talk to a qualified nutritionist. So the number one herb, well, I shouldn't say the number one, but one herb you should think about is cordyceps uh, mycelium extract. That's a medicinal uh, mushroom. Uh, it's very popular in Tibet and China, but also in the United States. And I, I recommend uh, the cordyceps to uh, those that need improvements in energy, sexual function, uh, athletic performance, and immune modulation. And if you combine uh, cordyceps with Panax ginseng, which is also called Chinese ginseng or Asian ginseng, uh, this will give you a leg up in terms of immune function, more blood sugar control, balancing the stress reaction out so it can stay level for longer. The panic sensing is very good for libido and erectile dysfunction. It even has been shown to improve sperm counts in studies. And it enhances physical and intellectual performance on uh, physical and intellectual testing. And one of the reasons why 
ginseng is so special is because it contains certain compounds known as uh, ginsenicides. The third herb is Erythrococcus senecosis. Erythrococcus senecosis. It's got so many different uh, applications for human health, but in the area of stress modulation, we're talking about you know improving stress balance. Um, Erythrococcus is uh, one of the best herbs for that. It also is very good for modifying mood and improving attention. People I've noticed in my experience who are debilitated from cancer, uh, chemotherapy, cardiovascular disease, and other chronic conditions generally get a, a, a nice boost from the use of this herb with the synergist that I'm talking about. Uh, Erythrococcus enicosis, in case you haven't ever heard of that, is sometimes referred to as Siberian ginseng. And it's been used by herbalists in many countries for, goodness, uh, easily 2,000 years. It is a very warming and stimulating herb. So, so far we've talked about cordyceps, panax, ginseng, erythrococcus enicosis, ashwagandha, and then there's roseola root. And that's been used uh, in Siberia and other parts of the uh, former uh, Soviet Union, also Germany, Scandinavia, and, and other European countries, and countries as an adrenal adaptogen, uh, particularly when used with Siberian ginseng. Although uh, rhodiola works very much like Siberian ginseng. They're, they're highly synergistic. But these are adaptogenic herbs so far, which means that if we have a hyperfunctioning of something due to the stress response or a, an exhaustion of something during the exhaustion phase of the stress response, these herbs tend to balance things towards the center, not too high, not too low. And then there's glyceriza. Glyceriza glabra is commonly known as licorice and uh, it has a variety of amazing functions on the body. First of all, you need to know that you shouldn't be taking uh, glyceriza if you have hypertension. But glyceriza helps uh, and assists with recovery from long-term stress. And the reason it does that is it has an effect on that hormone we spoke about earlier, cortisol. It increases the half-life of cortisol, so it allows cortisol to stay around longer. Now, most of you have been taught that cortisol is just bad. It's responsible for belly fat. That's an extreme um Concern. I'm not saying it has no validity to it, but there are certainly more positives of the effect of balanced cortisol than anything else in the, in the body from a hormonal perspective. So, and in the stress response specifically. Also, licorice blocks leukotrienes, which are inflammatory uh, uh, compounds. So, therefore, it's an anti inflammatory herb. Glyceriza is also a demucillant, so it helps heal the digestive tract. And it also is very strongly antiviral, and it's a potent antioxidant. All things you need to manage a stress response. See, you may not be able to reduce the stress in your life. Let's just say for argument's sake, you can't. You can't reframe things. You think everything sucks. <laughs> I'm just making a joke here. You can't affect things, right? But if you take these herbs, they help your body deal with the, the continued chronic presence of stress or perceived stress. Because remember, your nervous system does not know the difference between whether or not the stress is actually happening or it's just going on in your head. It has no way of telling the difference and the biochemistry is the same. So those with high blood pressure, as I mentioned, should really not take glyceriza unless you talk with people uh, that is qualified healthcare providers to help you manage that.
Another nutrient, it's actually a hormone that's very, very good for helping the body manage the chronic stress response is DHEA, dehydroepiendosterone. So that's a major adrenal hormone. And in both men and women, it tends to tank. It tends, tends to reduce by about age 30 and just continues to plummet throughout your life. And as it reduces, as it plummets, as the body, the adrenals cannot make the DHEA than it once did when it was younger, your ability to manage the physiologic stresses, uh, stressors upon your body is, is less. So taking DHA helps to offset a lot of the adverse effect of stress upon the body and the aging process, the stress of the aging process upon the body. So one uh, example is that DHEA helps the body retain and build lean body tissue. So it's anti-catabolic, Cat- catabolism means the breakdown, and it's a, it's an, and it's a pro-anabolic hormone, meaning it helps build things up. So I take DHEA to help me deal with the stress of my life and also the stress of my exercise routines because long running and heavy weight training does stress the adrenal glands. And if you maintain the high, higher DHEA levels in the normal range, that helps offset the adverse effects of stress and has you get the benefit of the stress as it plays upon the body's muscles if it's weight training or cardiovascular system if it's that. Okay? Now, I want to continue an herbal discussion on managing the stress response. And in a minute, I'm going to just summarize the stress response for you again a little differently. But once again, I just want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, and letting you know that I will present topics that you are interested in. I received many, many emails uh, and quite a lot of phone calls to reiterate this whole stress response and what to do about it nutritionally in a way that should should work. It, it won't ever be one thing. It won't just be herbs. It will be herbs and lifestyle changes and environmental changes if you really want to manage the impacts of stress upon your body. And fundamentally, You can't avoid every stressor in life or perceived stressor, but what you can do is work on yourself so that when you're exposed to life, you can filter things in such a way or internalize them and interpret them in such a way that supports your system in in a realistic way. In other words, if a a danger comes up and you must, must deal with that, you want to deal with that, but you can deal with it in a panic stress response where you're likely going to be less effective in managing that. Or you can deal with it in a managed stress response where, you know, you may have an elevated heart rate. You might have increased reflexes. Um, all of these things are fine for a stress response as long as they are curtailed, they are managed, and they are not excessively long. You see, the stress response has three main phases. Oh, uh, okay. Let me, let me state these. So the phases start out, as I mentioned earlier, with the alarm phase. And then that is the initial phase where there is this stressor. Then there is the resistance phase. That's where you're kind of cruising with the stress. You know there's a stress, you're, you're moving, you're doing your thing, you're trying to manage it, you're reacting to it. And human beings can react to stress And they can also take a step back and say, wait a minute, I don't have to breathe this fast. I can slow my breathing down. I don't have to be moving this fast. I can slow that down too. By the way, 
Altering your breathing is probably the single best and most effective immediate way to help manage physiologic stress in your body. Because when you slow down the respiratory system, you're slowing down the cardiovascular system, and these reduce the amount of stress and therefore stress hormones and inflammatory stress mediators in the body. So we started out with the alarm reaction, then we're well into the dealing with the stress response during the resistance phase. And as long as the resistance phase is not excessively long, your body can deal with that, no problem. And of course, how your body in particular deals with stress is very different than another person. I can't tell you that. But there are ways in which I can measure some of the ways in which your body uh, is impacted by stress. I'll tell you about those in a second. And then, if your body does not reduce that stress or avoid it somehow, you start to go towards the exhaustion phase. So the alarm phase to the resistance phase and then the exhaustion phase. And as the term would imply, your body is running out of its resources and it's basically very, uh, it's a very damaging phase. And these three phases, alarm, resistance, exhaustion, were coined and researched mostly by the doctor I mentioned at the beginning of the show, Dr. Hans Selye, and they used to refer to him as the father of stress. I wonder how he liked that term. Hey, father of stress, how are you? He's like, very stressed today. But you never know. He was a genius. He certainly was. The whole concept and the introduction of the stress response into human physiology has enlightened many doctors and many researchers to understand how human beings deal with life. So when it comes to some additional herbal supports, grab your pen because I'm going to tell you some new ones. And while you're doing that, I'll let you know my phone number for those of you who want it. My phone number is 914-552-1442. You can email me at info at blooddetective.com and my website is drmichaelwall.com. So a good adrenal tincture should include astragalus, and also the erythrococcus centicosis and the panax ginseng and the licorice that I mentioned earlier. So astragalus, erythrococcus centicosis, panax ginseng and licorice. And they really need to be about 15% strength. That seems to be the on average, the right number. But you might need more or you might need less depending on what you're up to. Remember, if you have various health problems, those are stressors. And if I have different health problems or no health problems compared to you or the next person standing to the right or to the left of you, you can imagine how what each of us needs is completely and entirely different. So you can figure out what you need based on some trial and error. And I don't mean just taking an herb and seeing how you feel that day. A lot of people think that that's evidence. It's not. You'd have to go for about a month of trying things. Um, and you can have your absorption rate checked because if you're malabsorbing a certain percentage, you'll need to take higher levels of different herbs. And herbs are impacted by other uh, ingredients in your diet, like proteins, carbohydrates, and fats. So you need a malabsorption test. You also need a test of vitamin C. Let me segue to vitamin C just for a minute, then I'm gonna get back to the, I'm gonna complete the herbal tincture formula that I started describing. Vitamin C is required for nearly 3,000 different enzyme reactions in the body. 
Enzymes are protein structures that run different reactions that allow things to happen. So if you are deficient in vitamin C or you're not deficient, but you're insufficient, meaning you have vitamin C, but you don't have enough of what your body's up to, then you're gonna to wanna to think about doing a vitamin C flush test. And that's a test where you're using buffered powdered vitamin C and you're taking a level teaspoon of it in two to three ounces of water every 30 minutes until you get diarrhea. When you get diarrhea, that's the amount where you stop. Now the amount of vitamin C you need daily is not the amount that gave you diarrhea, that's too much, right? You need two thirds of the amount that it took for you to get diarrhea every day in two equally divided doses. That will supply your body a saturated dose of vitamin C. Vitamin C is so important for managing stress response and as an anti-inflammatory and an antioxidant and as an adrenal adaptogen, um, I can't even begin to enumerate its potential benefits. But it has to be buffered and you have to take the dose that you need. If you take too much, that's an adverse stress. If you take too little, that's, that's not helping you either. Or at least not helping you nearly to the extent that it could. So it's important and fundamental to get the vitamin C correct. Don't get all fancy with ester C and all that nonsense. Um, Linus Pauling, who, who was the one that popularized vitamin C, uh, did more study on it than anyone else. And he said, do not try to reinvent the blade of grass when it comes to vitamin C. Use the buffered C. That's what you use. Use the powdered C and maybe, depending on the person, I might continue you with a capsule of vitamin C, but that depends on your situation. Okay. Uh, well, I should also mention about vitamin C is that ascorbic acid, which is vitamin C, has a, has a chemical structure to it, you know, that chemist's study, and it's six carbons. And it's very similar in structure, very similar to glucose, which is sugar. So what I'm getting at here is that when you saturate your body with vitamin C, you will improve your blood sugar because you are going to push glucose out of glucose receptors uh, and, and reduce the damage that excessive glucose can have, like in diabetics or hyperglycemics, by saturating your body with vitamin C. So very important. It looks very similar to glucose vitamin C, but it's not. So that makes it, uh, allows it to take the place of glucose in many uh, chemical reactions in the body. So earlier I was talking about an additional herbal tincture, um, a liquid that contains 15% astragalus, erythrococcus senecosis, panax ginseng licorice, and that's that. Now, a few other things I suggest would include kelp. Uh, kelp at 15% helps the thyroid gland. Now the thyroid gland talks to the adrenal gland and the thyroid and adrenal glands talk to the anterior pituitary gland and that gland talks to other higher centers of the brain. So anywhere along the chain, if it is, if there's miscommunication, which can happen with chronic stress response, you know, you have, think of it this way. You have a chronic stress in your life and you could get hurt, right? Conceivably, emotionally or physically. And even when the stressor is gone, you still might remain hurt. So when you're undergoing daily chronic stress, your body gets a little hurt in ways that you may not even know. And all those ways that you do know all your health problems, those are stressors. And the thing is to clean those problems up and you have to identify them. 
So one of the most common ways in which the body is hurt from chronic stress is by its effects upon the thyroid gland. So the thyroid gland, like the adrenals, become exhausted. Remember, when we spoke about the alarm, resistance, and exhaustion phase, for the body to feel exhausted, to be burned out, you have to have burned out organs, right? So kelp helps the thyroid gland by helping it make more thyroid hormone because low thyroid function is much more typical than high thyroid function in the stress response. And just briefly, juniper berries at 10%, saw palmetto berry at 10%, and prickly ash bark are an excellent combination of herbs for overall stress management, okay? Let me speak a little bit about the diet. Um, most of you have a concept that a healthy diet uh, is a good thing for the adrenals and the body in general. And again, on paper, theoretically, that makes sense. But the question always arises, what's the question? Yeah, that's right. What is a healthy diet for you? And your healthy diet might change over time. So right now, I am trying to put on more muscle. And I'm doing that because I'm 53 years old. I want to maintain a certain physique. And I run quite a lot and it takes, it sucks the muscle out. Running is a catabolic thing. It breaks the, the muscles down. And uh, weightlifting builds the muscles up. But I need to consume a certain amount of foods, macronutrients they're called, protein, carbs, and fats, to help the body compensate to get the goals that I'd like. So to have my body help build itself up in the face of the stress of my running and breaking my muscles down, I need to eat more protein and also healthy fats and lots of raw vegetables to build my muscles up as I'm pushing weights. So that's how exercise can be used in a specific way to build the lean body tissue, which is super, super healthy in so many different ways. And it required a certain kind of a diet. And I use a simplistic version of one. Now, let's say I get to the size that I want by eating that high-protein vegetable diet, let's just say. You know, and no refined carbohydrates and simple sugars and eat organic when you can and no GMO foods and no gluten. I get it, okay, if that's appropriate for you. So once I reach that goal uh, and I want to go further, I might need to eat differently. So if my exercise routine was equivalent to your disease – because th you can think of disease as an exercise um, where you have, let's say, God forbid, cancer, heart disease, neurologic problems, gastrointestinal problems, hormonal problems, inflammatory problems, toxic problems. All of these things denature the body. But in a general sense, practically speaking, uh, vegetables higher in sodium, uh, such as um, green beans, celery, zucchini, uh, tomatoes, onions, they're very helpful for helping the adrenal glands. You know, sodium is supposed to be a bad thing. But some of you know that because of all the years of sodium uh, avoidance, many people are sodium deficient. And you must have sodium for proper adrenal function. So if you eat these foods on a weekly basis, you're likely going to get that sodium that you need. And you want to avoid stimulants. Uh, caffeine, for example, or at least excessive amounts of it, and other sorts of stimulants like sugar, because they cause the adrenals to work hard all the time. So you're in a stress 
mode all the time. So I hope you realize that's what I've been talking about. Some of you are under stress right now because of how you eat and your chronic health problems. Okay. Other things that you can do to help manage a stress response would be to eat foods lower on the glycemic index. So foods that when you eat them have less of an impact on your blood sugar. And you can look those up online. But just be aware that the lists of glycemic foods, they're not accurate in a lot of people. They just don't react that way in most people. If you want to know if you have a hyperglycemic response to a high glycemic food, you would have to get a glucometer and check your glucose when you eat the food and see what happens. And you want to have meals that are probably best eaten regularly spaced throughout the day to even out blood sugar. And some of you are thinking, no, 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 doctor, well, that's old, that's old. We want intermittent fasting. We want to be fasting, for example, for 16 hours and then eating. Um, you know, I know that's, that's in right now, and I do think that there's something to that. But a good number of people cannot fast according to uh, intermittent fasting guidelines. It, it would just be unhealthy for them. Uh, it creates such a stress on their system that they'll be worse off from it. The only way you'll know if you're worse off from it is just to try it and to see after doing it for several days or several weeks, you know, how your health is going. Most people will point to losing some weight, but almost no one can maintain an intermittent fasting food intake uh, sort of lifestyle. So that weight's going to come back uh, with a vengeance. So it, it, it's, a, it's a fad. Um, it does have value when done correctly, but that's not easy to do. And I'll refer you to my intermittent fasting uh, radio show, which you can find on my website. The website's drmichaelwald.com. And then you can either search the search bar on any page, including the home page, or you can go to the blog section and just scroll down until you see the show title, Intermittent Fasting. That's a good one. It's definitely worth listening to. And you might want to have carbohydrates, uh, more of them before bed. Um, healthy carbohydrates like grains and uh, vegetables and also carbs from uh, potatoes in particular and carrots, um, they tend to produce uh, higher serotonin at night. Some of you are thinking, no, no, those are higher glycemic vegetables and you don't want to eat those. Well, you might not be able to eat those if you know you have a problem with those. But don't just assume you do. A lot of, most of, you know, most of the problem with the information out there in the media is that people tend to take it on like it's true for them uh, without any evidence uh, whatsoever that they would react the way they heard someone reacted to or some uh, uh, study said you should react. You just don't know. And then I would also suggest if you eat animal products, a whey protein to be supplemented in your diet, unless your diet has adequate protein. You need proteins to deal with the fight or flight response. If you do not have the proteins in your body, your body will break down its muscle tissue and or lean organ mass, and that's the, the beginning of the end. Whey protein offsets the catabolism that a stress response has upon the body and promotes anabolism, okay? 
And whey protein also contains tryptophan, which makes serotonin, which helps the body deal with stress in a less stressful way. Now let's talk about melatonin. Melatonin is super important for managing the stress response. So let's, let me just tell you first about what melatonin is. So it's a hormone secreted by the pineal gland, which is this tiny little gland in the brain, about the size of a, a pea. And it's a sleep hormone. And it is said to induce sleep without any negative effects in most people. Now, a lot of you out there are thinking, melatonin doesn't work for me. It may not work for you for sleep, but it may work for you for managing the stress response, or it might work for your anxiety or your depression. Now, if melatonin is not working for you for sleep or anything, your dose might be off. You may be malabsorbing. You may be taking it the wrong way in terms of timing of your foods. But melatonin is secreted mainly at night. And, and interestingly, it's also found in certain plants and algae. Now, several studies that I read, and this matches my, my experience of over 30 years, shows that supplementation of melatonin has been very helpful uh, inducing sleep and maintaining sleep in both adults and children. And whether they have um, sleep pattern problems or not, everyone seems to benefit, or most people on average, from, mel from melatonin. And as you know, it's also been used for jet lag. But the sleep-promoting effects of melatonin are most apparent only if a person's melatonin levels are low. So, in other words, taking melatonin is not like taking a sleeping pill or even 5-HTP, which will help sleep whether or not you have a low level of 5-HTP. Melatonin will only produce a set of effects when melatonin levels are low in the plasma or the serum of people. And melatonin appears to be the most effective in treating insomnia in the elderly, as uh, you know, melatonin levels are commonly very low in this group. Um, now, let's just put sleep aside for a second, okay? Um, forget sleep. We know how important sleep is for the stress response and recovery. But if we're talking about using melatonin to have you handle the stress response, then you want to take it before you go to bed. It may not help your sleep, but it may help other aspects of your neurophysiology, neuro and endocrine physiology, so that your body does deal better with stress during the course of the day. So that's important. So we've talked about quite a lot when it comes to the stress response. And I mean, I could have bored you with a lot more biochemical detail than the basics that I, I mentioned, but I'm hoping that you now have a very functional understanding of how you have a lot of say over the impact of stress upon your body. Number one, there's the use of various herbs that I mentioned in both tincture form and capsule form that um, are, have been very well studied to mitigate and balance out the stress response so it's not too extreme. And the suggestions that I gave you today, there's some evidence that suggests that, look, we're all going to have stress. We're all going to be stuck in stress responses, and we may not be able to escape them. In other words, you go to work, and you know, work for you is just stressful, and you can't you know, hide under a desk, and you can't leave. So the herbal approach gives you enough adaptogenic herbal support to help you stay in the 
mix of stress for longer. You know, I did a show uh, a while back on radiation all around us. You'll find it on my website under the blog section. And you know, if there's a radiation leak, there's going to be all kinds of chaos. And lots of people around that radiation leak where you are, you're not going anywhere anytime soon. So we better hope that that leak is not lethal. Or it may be lethal if you're exposed to it for, let's say, five hours. I'm just making something up. But if you are uh, saturated with enough antioxidants, you will be able to stay in the presence of that radiation for longer without incurring damage. That's the potential. And in that radio show, I talked about the studies with rats and how when they supplied them in their feed with high levels of antioxidants, they were able to um, suffer far fewer effects of the radiation and stay present to it a lot longer than those rats that did not. This is exactly the same potential that the herbs and nutrients and hormones I suggested in today's show can impact you for staying in the presence of stress longer because that's realistic. You know, today, for example, I'm home doing work. I, I actually am not seeing patients say it's all about learning for me and accomplishing certain things I need to do and preparing charts and putting together protocols. And I still have a certain amount of stress, you know, being home all by myself doing these different things. But throughout the course of the day, I'm going to be eating well. I'm going to be exercising. I'm going to be hydrating. I'm going to take my herbs. I'm going to think my positive thoughts. Like, for example, one of the things that I tend to practice is that, you know, uh, I mean, all of us suffer from different things, you know, emotional stressors, guilty stuff, whatever. But one of the things that I try to do each day to end my suffering is by doing something for someone else. So that's a credo that I use and repeat and have in my calendar, my Google calendar, to come on every day to remind me that for me to manage my stress better every day, I'm going to help someone else. And the other thing that helps me is if I surround myself with like-minded people, I am much happier. I don't need to hang out with people that don't understand that you know nutrition can help your, you know, your body. So I don't need to hang out with those people. <laughs> they stress me out. So I don't. So these are ways that I structure my life. Like another one is I have a gym in my home. And I work out in that gym. Uh, and I found that when I did not have a gym in my home, I wouldn't work out nearly as much. My health would not be anywhere close where it is. So if it's possible for you, you want to set up your life so that everything works for you based on how you want it. But on those days where things simply don't turn out that way, you have to remind yourself if you want to help your body deal with stresses, well, that's normal. And I will just focus on what I can today and what I can affect. So these sorts of things. But I still find that these little tidbits of, of information and practical approach to life if they're wired in your electronics like your you know, Google Calendar, so they're all there for me in the Google Calendar, I don't have to remember them, so they pop up at a certain time during the day and then I just go for it. So I take it out of my real brain and put it into my electronic brain, which reduces my stress and makes my life much, much happier. So we talked about the use of structuring your life to help stress, surrounding yourself with like-minded people, 
doing something for others to reduce your suffering, um, eating well, lower down on the food chain, something like a plant-based diet, not that paleo nonsense, but an actual plant-based diet, and taking whatever nutrition that you need for your needs. You might need a malabsorption test. You might need a vitamin C level test. You might need a vitamin C use test. We might do tests of your need for stomach acid or your need for zinc. Um, and I could do a test of your autonomic nervous system, which is the nervous system that deals with the fight or flight response. So there is a test where I put a strap on your lower chest and put a receiver near you and I have you uh, sit and stand for a certain number of heartbeats. And that is a stress test for the different parts of your nervous system that handle the stress response and are responsive to the adrenal glands. So the test is called an autonomic nervous system test. And I usually do that with a test of the cardiovascular system, how stiff the arteries are, not blocked, stiff, and how thick the blood is, and what your biological age is of your cardiovascular system. I have a test that can tell me, is your cardiovascular system 80 years old or is it actually close to your age? And the reason why I do the cardiovascular test is because most of us will die from stress causing heart attacks, both men and women. So we wanna see the changes in the cardiovascular system and support them nutritionally so they have greater resiliency against the daily stress. And in terms of testing, there may be other tests that are appropriate for you given your health problems. And fixing those organ systems and problems and that leaky gut or whatever it is, that's gonna help your body build up and be more resilient against the stress of aging or the stress of abnormal aging because it's the abnormal aging that really has most of its age the way it does. So when I sit down with a person and listen to their story, I would then determine what tests, if any, are best for them. The goal is to fix whatever it is we find towards personalizing the nutrition for them based on labs, questionnaires, physical exam, visual exam, and detailed consultation. All righty. So I hope you got some value out of the show on the adrenal glands and the stress response. My name is Dr. Michael Wald. You're listening to Ask the Blood Detective. Let me know those show topics. Send them over to my email at info at blooddetective.com. Check out the website at drmichaelwald.com. And call me if you'd like to work with me in person or at a distance at 914-552-1442. Again, thank you so much, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye, everyone.